United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Happy holidays, United Soccer Coaches family. I am Dean Linky, and we got a whole bunch of gifts for you today. A massive show. We get things started with Aiden Morris. At 19 years old, he started and had an assist for the Columbus crew in the MLS Cup as the crew win the MLS Cup. He'll kick off the show. Then we start to put the focus on the January 11th through 15 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention. We start with Leslie Gallimore, the longtime coach at Washington, who's now the commissioner of the Girls Academy League, former president of United Soccer Coaches. She's moderating and she's presenting at the digital convention, and she will break that down. Right after her, one of the panels that she is presenting on, she's joined by Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic, who's done it all. She won at North Carolina. She won with the national team. She won with the North Carolina Courage, and she's winning now as a coach for UCF. She is delightful. After Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic, we switch it up, and we visit with Billy the Greek Gazonis. He's got a book out called That Little Son of a Bee, and it's about his time at Hartwig where he was told that he wasn't good enough. He would go on to captain Hartwig to a national championship and win the Herman Trophy. We get back at it. Letter of commendation winner, Lisa Cole, who heads up goalkeeping for United Soccer Coaches. Lisa Cole is on the show. We meet a member of our 30 under 30 class, Keely Lysing. And we close it out with Big Ten and 10 Nebraska women's soccer. Longtime head coach John Walker joined by Sinclair Miramontes, now a member of the North Carolina Courage. Woo! Big show. Hope you like it. It starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. I am Dean Linky, and this is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. If you listen to the show, you know I talk a lot about my work with the Big Ten Network, and I got to tell you, I had a great front row seat to see Aiden Morris as a freshman at Indiana under Todd Yeagley, the son of the godfather, and he delivered. He was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He made the all-Big Ten team as a freshman, and understandably, he went pro where he was a homegrown player with the Columbus crew by way of Fort Lauderdale. We'll get to that story. But more importantly, the Columbus crew, as you all know, won the MLS Cup. And now stealing from Tom Bogert and his great article, I'll read directly. Even before a champion was crowned on Saturday night in the last postseason match at the legendary Maffrey Stadium, history was made. Columbus crew homegrown midfielder Aiden Morris was a surprise entrant into the starting 11 in the place of Darlington Nagby, becoming the youngest player in league history to start MLS Cup. He is 19 years old and 27 days old at the time of that final. Less than two hours after walking out as part of the starting 11, Morris was lifting the trophy with his teammates, and he didn't just lift it. 
Morris marked his start with a first half assist as the crew jumped out to a 2-0 lead over the Seattle Sounders, eventually winning 3-0. Aiden Morris, thanks for kicking off our show. I was so impressed by your performance. I was blown away. I know the Argentinian by way of Mexico, Zella Reon. He's going to get all the headlines, but I'm telling you, Aiden, people are talking about what you did to slow down Seattle. You were ready for the moment. How did you know you would be ready for such a massive moment in your young career? It just goes back to, to everyone in the, in the staff and my teammates. Um, just it's been, it's been a long, crazy year. So, you know, it's, it's, it's always um, it's just two simple words, you know, be ready. Um, that's, that's been a message that's, that's gone across the year for me. So, yeah, I just learning a lot this year and, you know, everyone's giving me little details and little, little points along the way. And it, it, it's helped me to go out there Saturday night and perform to the best of my ability. Well, you made it easy to blow you up during your time at Indiana because uh, from day one, you were great. It seems like we had Indiana on every week. And every time I'm like, let's put the spotlight on Aiden Morris. Let's put the spotlight on on Aiden Morris. And and you delivered, Aiden. And then you go to Columbus where Caleb Porter, arguably one of the best sixes in the history of Indiana soccer. They've had a ton. And he's got that true blue-collar mentality. I mean, it's a perfect fit for you, right? Of course. Of course, Caleb and I um share a lot of things in, in common obviously both at you boys and everything and similar positions and um, similar mentalities as well so you know he's a, he's a great guy to, ha to have behind me and keep and keep pushing me on um, to be kind of like the best version of myself so yeah I'm very lucky as you continue to try to be the best version of yourself when you're seeing what Zellerayon does out there on the field and even what you're seeing what Nagby does the guy that you essentially replace in the lineup how does that inspire you Aiden it is very inspiring. You know, it, 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 it gives me kind of something visual to, to look up to. And it gives me kind of a benchmark and a standard I can see on a daily basis, day in and day out, how they, how they handle their bodies, how they go to training, their mentality. They're always willing to get better. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm a very lucky guy when it comes to just always having that available to me and be able to learn every single day, day in and day out, through training, through games. And yeah, I try to pick their brain as much as I can. I think it's worth telling our audience that it's not like you grew up in Columbus. You're from Florida. And you found your way to Columbus with the academy and then the one year at Indiana. Talk about how you found your way to Columbus from Florida. Yeah, so uh, academy does a great job. The academy program does a great job, you know, showcasing kids and giving the kids um, opportunities to kind of branch out to different MLS clubs. And at the end of the day, every kid's dream is to, to become a professional soccer player. So, I mean, Columbus was at one of those um, yearly kind of winter showcases and the old academy director, Dennis Sanchez, who uh, was also a big help for my career, scouted me and then ended up coming on a little visit to, to Columbus and uh, automatically fell in love with the, the kind of the tradition and the family they have here and kind of the, the way they play and how it stems from the academy all the way up to the first team. So, you know, that was really exciting for me. And, and day one, I fell in love with it. And, I, and I've been living with this lovely host family for the last three years of my life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. Yeah, indeed. So talk about your host family. What are their names? Because I know they're important to you. Yes. Uh, so it's Rebecca Kist, Casey Kist, and then two little boys, um, Cam and um, Kaden Kist. So yeah, they, they both play soccer. So they had to be thrilled, right? I don't know how old they are, but they had to have been blown away. The, the boys, right, about you winning the MLS Cup? Yeah, you know, they, they, they went to all my games um, that I played in this year that were home. So they, they're, they're my number one supporters for sure. So yeah, it was awesome experiencing that with them. It was a special night and I'm glad they were there with, them, with me. 
Well, that is huge. And I'll tell you what, it seems like forever ago when I sat with you before, I think it was your first game at Indiana because the Big Ten Network was putting on one of your early games, I think maybe against Notre Dame. And I brought you in and a couple other players as well. And you were just this young baby faced kid. And we were talking about, you know, being on TV for the Big Ten Network. You have this incredible year and then you make the decision to go pro. Just walk us through that that time at Indiana, then the decision to go pro. Big kudos to, to IU, first of all, you know, you know, Todd and the whole entire staff there, Danny, Roby, and, you know, they all prepped me, prepped me to make that big step. You know, it's not easy for, for an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid to, to make a step to being in a professional environment um, where you're competing with guys from all over the world. And so, yeah, that, that it was it was tough for me, you know, honestly, you know, when you go to IE, you automatically fall in love with, like I said about Columbus, the tradition, the family they have there. It's, it's a special place. So it was obviously difficult to leave, but they prepared me well to kind of make that big step. And yeah, I'm forever grateful for that. All right. So you get the word that Darlington is out. Talk to me about what Caleb said to you about when you were going to start and give us that story. When you learned that you were going to be in the starting 11 for MLS cup. That's pretty amazing. It was, it was, two days before the game. Yeah. And so it was obviously unfortunate news. Don't get me wrong about Donington. Uh, really sucked for, for being a player of his caliber and how, how important he was for the team. I mean, it was, a, it was a big loss, but you know, automatically when I heard about the news that he'd be out, you know, I knew I had to step up. It was, it was a shock to me, obviously some excitement. It was kind of bittersweet, you know, but I was obviously so excited and I knew, uh, I knew I had to do my job and, you know, not only just work for myself, but also work for my team. You know, my team's been grinding for the whole entire year. It's been a crazy year. So it, it meant a lot to me that I was given the kind of the responsibility to kind of and the trust from, from the coach to kind of get me in there and uh, yeah, make a shift. So I was nervous for you to still align from the Godfather, Jerry Yagley, Todd's dad. I had the belly jiggling, you know, how he would always say to you guys, remember him mm -hmm. saying that as you, as you smile at me, of course, this is audio, but were you nervous? Because you didn't play like you were nervous, but I was nervous for you, my man. Let me just tell you that. Yeah, I mean, of course, of course there's nerves, you know, from not from not playing a lot before that, getting a lot of minutes in the playoffs, you know, just jumping into that game, of course there's going to be some nerves. But, you know, my teammates do a great job at keeping me confident, keeping me ready for, for an opportunity that pops up like that. So so I would say there's obviously some nerves, but I was confident, you know, going into it. I knew I knew, um, I knew what I had to do, and, I, and the, the kind of the big stage around the MLS Cup final helped me a lot. It got me really excited. It got me really pumped up. So, yeah, I, I, there was obviously some nerves, don't get me wrong, but it was, it was a lot of excitement involved with it. Well, and I feel like, Aiden, if you're honest with me, one touch, one tackle, you get stuck in, and then the nerves are gone because that's kind of what happened. You got your first touch. You got your first tackle. Then you're off and running, and I couldn't take my eye off you. I know Zellerion was scoring like crazy, but you were the rock. You were shutting down Seattle. You were dominant, my man. Of course, yeah. You know, getting that first touch is so important. You know, just completing that first pass it sets you up for the whole entire game. But you know there are some there are some games where you don't complete it, and and that and that shows you the best players in the world. If they don't complete that first pass, they're able to, to mentally switch on and just keep going and just keep looking for the next one. So you know that the first pass is very important for my game. But yeah, you know I was confident. The crowd was just amazing. Um, shout out to Nordek. So yeah, I mean the atmosphere kind of keeps you going and, and, and kind of gets you in the groove of the game. I got to believe the Indiana Hoosier soccer nation were blowing you up. I got to believe Todd Yagley and Roby and Danny and everybody was blowing you up, probably still blowing you up, right? Of course, of course. You know, it was, it was awesome. One of my favorite moments after the game was um, seeing Todd. That was, that was probably one of my favorite moments after the game. You know, I haven't seen him for a while. 
since I left and just see him after the game. It was awesome to kind of give him a hug and, you know, take a photo with him. That was a really, that was really um, kind of special, special memory for me. All right. You're just going to start building memories. You already have an MLS cup title. You already have a big 10 freshman of the year title and did great things at Indiana. It's all about adding more titles now, right, Aiden? Of course, of course. But you know, the journey, the journey is the most important thing. You know, the titles are great, but you know, the stuff we learn along the way is, 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 is for sure the most important. Super proud of you, Aiden Morris. Thanks for giving me a front row seat during your time in Indiana. And thanks for letting me just enjoy what you're doing now as a young man in the Major League Soccer and with the Columbus Crew. Congrats on winning the MLS Cup. Aiden Morris, thanks for kicking off our podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Aiden Morris, 19 years old, starting for the Columbus Crew and helping the crew win the MLS Cup. We come back, we start talking about the digital convention, January 11th through 15th. Leslie Gallimore, longtime coach at Washington, now the commissioner of the Girls Academy League, also former president of United Soccer Coaches. She's presenting, she's moderating, she's doing it all. As always, Leslie Gallimore on the bounce. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. We're getting excited about the digital convention, which will be January 11 through 15. We've been focused a lot on the award winners. We're going to start focusing on the presenters and the moderators. And when you've got someone like Leslie Gallimore, she does both. Leslie Gallimore is one of the true icons of the game. 270 wins at Washington, where she started in 94. She played at Cal, coached at San Diego State, former president of the association and now the commissioner of the Girls Academy League. I always have time for Leslie Gallimore, and I know our listeners do too. Happy holidays, Leslie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Dean. Great to see you. Great to hear you. Happy to be here. All right, you got two sessions you're presenting. We're going to focus on that one first, creating a positive team and playing culture. And I can tell you that one of the featured presenters with you, Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic, is up next after you. So make sure you say nice things about her too. But tell us about that theme, creating a positive team and playing culture. Yeah, we had preparations for that last week, and it was really exciting to be on a prep call with this group, Brian Turner, who I don't really know that well, but Tiffany Robert Sahedic, who I've known as the Region 4 ODP coach when she first came on the scene back in the day, and now life has gone full circle. So I get to be on a, a panel with her where I couldn't be more proud to, to know her, to be honest. And, and you know, from a, a youth perspective, which now I'm in the middle of the youth world and a college perspective, and Brian with club and high school and, and Tiff with her college team, it'll be a great session moderated by Kelly Kratz of the Positive Coaching Alliance, where culture is basically everything. So she'll be asking us questions and it'll be a fun discussion surrounding the penultimate buzzword culture, you know, which we hear all the time and trying to stay focused on what that means, what it means in different environments, how you keep it, how you get it to a positive place, and when it isn't positive, how you change it. And I just think it'll be really exciting and enlightening and have a lot of different perspectives within it. You're right. Culture is the ultimate buzzword right now. And, you know, when you really reflect on it, though, coaches have so much power, sometimes more power than a mom and a dad. And you got to take that role serious, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. In the coaching realm, you have to know that every action, every word, every behavior, every everything you do is taken very seriously by the people that you're in charge of, whether it's adults or kids, as your pupils, as students and as students of the game. And it's a big responsibility. And so knowing how to handle that, knowing how to have your pulse on it, knowing what to do when you get it right and to reflect back and when you get it wrong to change and adapt. And there's a lot of icons in our, our game of soccer that have done it at all different levels. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be touching upon some of those as well that have managed to really get it right and maintain it for years and years, but also evolve. You have to evolve. Well said. We're here with Leslie Gallimore. She's presenting, creating a positive team and playing culture. And then you're moderating, showing your vast skill sets, how youth coaches can assist players through the recruiting process. And of course, COVID has thrown that process into a dust up for sure. So this is an important topic. Break it down for us, Leslie. Yeah, we're fortunate in the in the Girls Academy. I'm very fortunate to work with a lot of outstanding academy directors, and we'll have two of them on, uh, David Robertson from Nationals in Michigan and uh, Bobby Puppioni, who has also been a U.S. soccer scout who is with FC Virginia, uh, along with Marsha Harper from a college coach's perspective at American University. So the three of us will have a discussion, obviously, as a former college coach and now uh, someone in charge of 7,000 girls in, in our academy, especially during COVID, but just in general, how to help players not only during the recruiting process, being recruited, getting recruited and getting into a college program or having a verbal commitment, but what that development period looks like once they do know where they're going to college and how they kind of keep their foot on the gas to improve and develop and how their youth coaches, along with their future college coaches, help them not backslide, if you were, if continue their development going forward. So I think there'll be a lot of fun things to talk about there and tools that will be useful to kids and to, to coaches at the youth level. Maybe even outside of this important session that you're moderating, how are you feeling for young men and women during this difficult time that maybe they didn't get as much exposure as they normally would to land themselves at a college? Yeah, these players have all, and coaches, I would say as well. I mean, obviously we're having our convention virtually. So if that doesn't speak volumes to where the world is and what this year has been like for everyone is, I'll just say that United Soccer Coaches in the convention for so many people has just been sort of the way to start the new year right. I want to encourage everyone to sign up because I do think we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel of, of the pandemic. And even though we won't be in person, I think gathering virtually and showing support for coaches and for the association is huge and all in the light of coaches making better players. So when you say that is there's players coming out of this time period that have just and will continue to deal with a lot of adversity as it relates to going from the youth game to the, the college game because the rules around fifth-year seniors returning, the financial ramifications that college programs are facing with scholarships, it's just it's not going to get easier overnight. And there's going to be a lot to, to navigate still. There's going to be some sacrifices that have to be made. There's going to be possible changes of thought as to what might be the best pathway and where that might be for some players. But I, I also think that where there's a will, there's a way. And there's, I think there's a lot of good that can come out of it. You know, the transfer portal before the pandemic ever hit was a little more popular than you would like to see it. Maybe this is going to give players a chance to, and has given players during the pandemic a chance to really, really hone in on what matters to them and what an actual great fit for a college is for them. So maybe we'll see less transferring down the line and people will find a, a home that is a permanent home and not just maybe a little stop on their way to something different. So that could be a positive that comes out of, out of COVID. You mentioned navigation. How about your navigation from a longtime successful coach, 
former college coach of the year to now an executive level as the commissioner of the Girls Academy League. How has your life changed and how are you liking this new role? Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a real challenge to uh, a new set of skills for me. Obviously, having been the past president of the United Soccer Coaches and sat in a boardroom as a board member, now being a commissioner and reporting to a board is um, I'm just on the flip side of that. So it's not completely new, but it's definitely testing a new set of skills from a leadership standpoint, from an organizational standpoint, being technically able to have my fingers on the pulse of the game and what girls do navigate as youth players, both from a college coach's perspective, a former youth coach in the ODP realm and with the youth national teams, and then being a player myself. I just think having been in the shoes of these girls, these 7,000 girls, a lot of them who were in the former DA who were left without a playing platform, it's been really important to me in my sort of college afterlife to do something where I feel like I can have a positive impact for girls specifically. And I think our league and the people that have been involved in sort of resurrecting this platform for them have done a tremendous job. And I'm, I'm just super proud to be a part of it. And we all know that the youth soccer landscape consists of a ton of competition between leagues, competition for players, competition in markets, et cetera, et cetera. But it's been fun for me to have a primary focus of just every day saying, are the decisions I'm making and what I'm doing best for the players. And it's just a really e easy guiding light for me to say yes or no to when I have to decide things on the daily basis. So as a veteran in the soccer world, <laughs> I feel as though I've, I'm able to sort of block out the noise that a lot of people maybe that have been in the thick of it for years here when it comes to youth soccer. And I just I use that beacon for my decisions and it makes my days um, probably a little bit more easy. Well, let's use this beacon to promote. If people want to know more about the Girls Academy League, where can they go? GirlsAcademyLeague.com on the web and follow us on social media. Hashtag GA Rising is a great way for people to kind of see what the players in our league are doing. We have a, an advisory panel within all of our conferences where we have a rep for each conference, a rep for each club, and then a team rep at the younger ages. So it's a really great way and a uniqueness to our league that our players have a voice. It's a fun follow, and I'm just I'm really impressed by the resiliency of these kids and, and by all kids during the pandemic that have kept engaged with their their soccer clubs and engaged in the world. And they're going to come out of this. I think this next generation of players, they're going to be a fun follow because of this, because of what they've been through and what they've been able to overcome. To end this, as we gear up for the digital convention, January 11 through 15, in your own words, Leslie Gallimore, United Soccer Coaches has met what to you? Oof. A platform for networking, a way to feel affirmed and confirmed in my passion for the game with and around my peers. It's a place that just feels like home and soccer. And, you know, to even talk to you today, Dean, and see you here, it just, you know, it makes me smile because I just, I think of this time of year, just rolling into the convention every year is just nothing but good ever. You know, it's just for people that don't, come and haven't gone in the past and then seeing the first timers every year in January. It's a unique space for soccer people and uh, it, it feels like home. Well, one of the things that's going to feel like home is we're going to put Ziggy Schmidt in the Hall of Fame. So I lied. We're going to end with that because I know Ziggy was near and dear to you like he was to me. Yeah. Him going into the Hall of Fame is obviously very much deserved. And this past weekend with the MLS Cup being between Columbus and Seattle, I've not stopped thinking about him for, you know, weeks on end and days on end and watching the game. I just, there was a lot of emotion around it. And he's someone who was a very big part of, of my life growing up, my life as a coach, my time in Seattle when he was here, 
our time as college colleagues. He was never anything but a positive. He and Clive Charles both were probably two of the biggest influences I have, and I miss them both dearly. So I'm proud of, of him. I'm happy for him and his family that he's going into the Hall of Fame. And it's just a great testament to what United Soccer Coaches does to recognize people that are deserving. Leslie Gallimore, always a treat. And since you're a moderator and a presenter, I'm going to let you send this home. All right, everyone, stick around on United Soccer Coaches podcast. Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic from UCF is next. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. An Olympic gold medalist, World Cup champion, two-time NCAA champion, and a WUSA champion for the original Carolina Courage. One of my faves, one of your faves if you love women's soccer, Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic has been the super successful head coach at UCF since the 2013 season. And Tiffany Roberts-Sahedic, as Leslie Gallimore just told you, is going to share her knowledge as part of an exciting panel titled creating a positive team and playing culture. Culture being such a key word. TR, thanks for being part of the digital convention in January. And thanks for joining me on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. And I'm very excited to uh, be on the panel at the convention in January. So very, very excited. Thanks, Dean. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I mean, when you think about creating a positive team and playing culture, and I think about you and all the amazing coaches that you've had, right? You were part of the transition with the U.S. team from Anson to Tony. You were part of an amazing turnaround with the Carolina Courage. I mean, we went from worst to first, which was amazing. And that had to be, culture had to be a key role in that, right? Kind of flipping that switch. And, you know, you're the ultimate role player. People talk about that all the time. But culture is a buzzword for a big reason right now, right, T.R.? Absolutely. I mean, especially being in this global pandemic and trying to keep your team connected. And none of us can say we've been there or have had experience staying connected during a pandemic. So we're all kind of in the same place. We're all leaning on one another as coaches in a coaches community or in the soccer community, which has been really nice. I just told you earlier before we came on here was that I, I helped out Mark Kikorian with FSU speaking and my former teammates have come on and, and talked to my team in Zoom meetings. So having this positive culture and hopefully a lot of teams have already built that foundation before something so serious has happened to us and what we're experiencing. So important right now, especially. One of the things that, uh, whether we're in a pandemic or not in a pandemic, one thing that is clear is coaches play such a key role in the development of young people, young girls and young boys. Sometimes, TR, a more important role than a mom and dad. Absolutely. And I can just speak from experience, being a former player and now a coach. I think about all of the coaches that I've had in my life, and they've all played such a huge impact in my life. So in my character and my core values, I think about my family and our core values, I think in my family, but then I honestly think about my coaches first. So, you know, we just talked about the WUSA going from worst to first. I mean, Marsha McDermott had a huge 
impact with that team and our success and turning that around. But I would say personally, as a soccer player, I mean, I got cut from the national team for a year. She really pushed me to become a better player, helped me really understand my weaknesses mentally too. And she helped me get back onto that national team just by being serious and being honest with me. But, and then you've got Anson in there. He's so insp inspirational. Um, and we can't forget about Tony who always made me feel valued in my role. I mean, I can go on and on about every coach that I've ever had. Well, I have to mention April Heinrich. She's helped me transition more into a coaching role. So she helped me get into coaching. So after my playing career, she's had a huge impact on me. I can tell you, I've been so blessed with all of the coaches that I've had. You know, sometimes people say, well, I've had these coaches that haven't been so positive or impactful. I want to do the opposite of them. Well, for me, I'm telling you, every coach I've had has been so positive and so effective. And I'm trying to be like all of them at once, I think. Yeah, you take little bits and pieces, and I think that's why, and it's kind of a loaded question, maybe even an easy one, that's why when United Soccer Coaches calls you or Leslie Gallimore calls you to be a part of this kind of panel, knowing that you've taken little bits and pieces from all these great coaches that you just mentioned, it makes you want to give back, right? Soccer, the sport, my coaches, this game has given me my whole entire life. Tim, my husband and I, we work together at UCF. And I mean, think about how blessed we are. I mean, it, it got me through college. It helped me meet my, my husband. Um, I get to coach soccer for a living. I mean, it, it's helped me travel around the world and, and meet new people, give me new perspectives. It's helped me compete at the highest level. I mean, this sport has given me everything and I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity at the convention uh, to give back to the soccer community and the coaches. As we wrap up our time with TR, such a great player at so many levels, college pro and with the national team. Once again, the panel is titled Creating a Positive Team and Playing Culture. It'll be featured January 11th through 15. And just a couple sentences, when you hear that title, Creating a Positive Team and Playing Culture, how do you sum that up, TR? That's a good question. I think it's a little bit loaded, Dean. You put me on the spot, but um, you think positive and you think cheerleading all the time, and it's not about that. It's actually holding your players accountable, but still showing them that you love them and you care for them and you want them to grow. So it's not just cheerleading all the time. It's, you know, can we have a great time and still compete? And I learned that on the national team. I mean, a lot of what I teach in culture now is, is what I learned on the national team. So thankful for that experience as well. TR, we'll end by, I'm going to hold up this picture again of the 2002 Carolina Courage team. And we were just rattling off the names and, you know, Carla Overbeck scoring while with child, which is amazing to put you in the WSA final. I love Stacy Bird out there. Danielle Slayton, such a warrior, right, in the back. I mean, the couple moves that they made, including bringing in D. Slate to change the culture, right, was huge, right? Huge. I mean, Marsha and organization did a great job of just bringing in some really talented players. I mean, Birgit Prince. I mean, come on, Hager Reese, we the best players in the world. The fact that I was on the field with them, getting to like tackle people and give Hager the ball. I mean, that's a job I'd take any day. So that was such a fun team and such great memories and was really able to um, just come into my own, you know, in, in the professional league. You know, national team was, feel like my head was above water sometimes, but with the professional league, it was so fun. Awesome. I love that. And, you know, it's holiday season. It's time to go down memory lane, right, TR? Absolutely. And, and anytime with you, Dean. Happy holidays to you and your beautiful family. You too, Dean. 
Tiffany Roberts Sahedic, a special player, a special coach, and a special person indeed. Always enjoy spending time with her. We come back, we're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk about a book written by Billy Gazonis, Billy the Greek Gazonis. The book titled is called That Little Son of a B-Word, which kind of catches you off guard, but this was a five foot three guy told by Timo Leakoski, a name that you should know that he wasn't good enough to play at Hartwick. Well, he went there, he became captain, he led his team to a national championship and he won the Herman Trophy and he wrote a book to talk about it that features all kinds of United Soccer coaches names that you will recall, reflect and smile about. Billy Gazonis, author, when we return. High School Coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all-online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As we gear up for the digital United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 11th through 15th, we can't forget it's holiday season. So I wanted to pause real quick and spend time talking with the author of a book that I think you will find a great read, a last minute holiday gift for anyone who loves the game of soccer, the history of the game, college soccer, and well, a can do it mentality that can lead a five foot three player that was told by his original coach, a name you'll recognize that he wasn't good enough. And he finished with the Herman trophy and captain of the national championship Hartwick team. I'm talking about Billy, the Greek Gazonis author of that little son of a B word, a soccer journey from tears and humiliation to national champions and Herman trophy winner. A great read that references so many powerful names that should move you because you know them or hopefully move you to find out who they are because they're worth finding out who they are. Names like the great Glenn Mooch Meyernick, Timo Leakoski, Jim Lennox, Manfred Shellshite, Jeff Tipping, and that's just a few names that are synonymous with U.S. soccer and NSCAA, now United Soccer Coaches. Billy is in four Hall of Fames. Three of those are the Hartwig College Athletic Hall of Fame, the Mercer County, New Jersey Soccer Hall of Fame, and the Trenton Catholic Academy Athletic Hall of Fame. And with that, the author of The Little Son of a B-Word joins me now. A fantastic story and fantastic book. Billy the Greek Gazonis, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dean, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Well, and as I said those names, I got to admit that I got chills because I worked with Timo, I worked with Mooch, Manfred Shellsheit's granddaughter I work with now, Jimmy Lennox, I did my first Olympic festivals with, Jeff Tipping was United Soccer Coaches Director of Coaching Education, and you've got more names in there that I know and recognize and have great respect for. But let's start with the message of this one because it's an edgy title, that little son of a bee, and just tell us how you came up with that name because it does kind of make sense and it does kind of personify what you're all about. Well, Dean, I, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with the title of the book. And, and one day I was talking to Charlie Inverso, who's the head coach at Ryder University. He said, off the field, you're like the nicest guy, but on the field, you're a real son of a 
B. And he <laughs> said, what about that for a title? And I started thinking about it. And, you know, I ran it past people. A lot of people liked it. As a small player, Dean, on the field, you know, you, you, you have to make sure people understand they can't kick you and intimidate you or else they're going to be whacking you all over the field all game. So I had to establish myself, physically speaking. Well, it's a great journey because it talks about your life story. You're kind enough to share the story of your parents. And then also, you know, the fact that uh, you fought through in the state championship game in high school with an injury. That's where Timo Leakoski first saw you. And even saying his name is crazy because he lived like four doors down from me for three years out in Mission Viejo, California. And I know Timo. It's a tough read with Timo. And Timo told you you weren't good enough. Tell everybody that story, Billy. Well, I, had, I hurt my knee in the state final, and um, I was out for like three, four months. And then in a junior cup game, Timo came to New Jersey to scout some players. Zarin Ambadikow, Kenny Ivanchikov, Art Napolitano was a New Jersey high school player of the year. He was my teammate, and he came and watched us play. And I told him that, you know, I wanted to come to Hartwick, and he looked me right in the eye and says, you know what, you're not good enough to play here. You should go anywhere else, is what he told me. And one of the guys that felt like you were good enough to play early on was one of the best players to ever play in the college game, Glenn Mooch Meyernick. What was it about you that drew you to Mooch and vice versa? <laughs> Dean, I, well, I heard all these unbelievable stories about Mooch, and I had never saw him play. And then when I was 14 years old, there was an international tournament at Howell, and I played for a Mercer County team that was in the 14 and under age group. And Mooch, who was only a year older, but he was playing for Trent Extension, the juniors, uh, that was 18 and under. And, and the minute I saw him play, it was amazing. He was just the most unbelievable player I ever saw. And we, we developed a friendship then actually going into my freshman year at Hartwick College. We trained together on at this Nottingham Junior High School with a few other players. And Mooch was just this uh, uh, almost beyond life, charismatic, unbelievable player, but maybe even a greater human being. And um, I wanted to play with Mooch. I wanted to go to Hartwick. Uh, I thought that was my greatest chance to win a national championship. And, you know, that's why I played soccer to win championships. I'm going to read the foreword from Jim Lennox, who, of course, is soccer lore with United Soccer Coaches. They have recognized his greatness and as multiple organizations have. But it says December 4, 1976, the metallic click of soccer studs reverberating off the walls was the only sound as the Hartwick College soccer team despondently walked in the locker room. We had just lost 2-1 to Indiana in the NCAA National Semifinal. The silence was palpable as players slumped on benches and stared straight ahead. I looked over at Billy Gazonis. There were only tears. He goes on to say that Billy's quest to win that national championship is a story of passion, tenacity, and a ruthless desire to compete. Timo moves on to the NASL, in steps Jim Lennox, and just talk about the contrasting styles between those two. And then if you can, put into words, I mean, is there ill will toward Timo, or did he help you you know, with that burning desire to show him you can get it done. Well, they definitely have very different personalities. My freshman year, it was probably the least talented team we had at Hartwick. So what happened is we started off really bad, and, and Timo tactically made a lot of adjustments. Every game, we would make adjustments to the team we were playing. I would believe that had to do because he didn't feel we were that talented. We ended up becoming very good defensively, very organized, and very good on set pieces. And a team that wasn't that talented, we ended up getting to the Final Four, and we lost to a Howard team that was a terrific team. We could have won that game, but they were a better team. Where when Jimmy came in, Jimmy's mentality, by the time 
the end of our sophomore year, going into my junior year, Jimmy came in. At that point, we knew we won, we won the Mr. Pip tournament. We beat in three consecutive days in the spring, SIU, Quincy, and Clemson, and all three were ranked number one in the country the following fall. And Jimmy knew that our team was so good, we didn't worry about the other teams. We basically just focused on our, our abilities to play that way. So the contrasting differences were Jimmy just focused on us and playing the best soccer we could play, where Timo really adjusted every game to the opponent. Do I have any ill will towards Timo? No, not at all. I actually, I think Timo made me a much, much better player. I learned a lot from him, tactically speaking. He did throw fuel on the fire because even when I got in the t uh, team and started at the end of my freshman year, he still didn't think I was good enough to be a starter in the midfield and, you know, he handing players jobs. And, you know, that burning desire, uh, Dino, every day, you know, I, I had to try to make myself a better soccer player 365 days out of the year. Well, you talk a lot about making dreams happen. You talk about being devastated, even humiliated, and then being able to come back and make a difference. You talk about being hurt by being called a selfish player, something that I think that people that truly watched you know you weren't a selfish player at all. Those are just three key points throughout this book as you share your life story. But as you reflect on those three things, what's your reaction to that, especially the part when somebody told you you were a selfish player? Well, you know, D, like I said, our sophomore year, we were we were really talented, but we just weren't playing good. And I think that Timo was just trying to get a reaction out of the team. I never looked at see what Timo said about them, but when he said, "I, you know, I can't play the long ball like Mooch," well, no one could play a long pass like Mooch. Uh, taking players on, I was the left back, so obviously you have to be real selective. Of course, I could improve in that area, but the part about being selfish that just killed me because I always played for the team. If you were in a better position, you were getting the ball no matter what. And uh, that really bothered me uh, uh, tremendously, actually. You spent a lot of time talking about doing the work outside of practice. That message never gets old, right, Billy? <laughs> you know, Dean, nowadays they talk about like deliberate practice. They use all these different terminology over the years. For me, training was always about training the way you played in the game. And every day I trained, I tried to make myself better. I see kids out on the field and it's kind of like they're just going through the motion. It's just a waste of time. You have to train the way you play in the game, that, that focus, that concentration, that energy. And I think what's lacking at times, uh, Dean, is the area of thinking ahead and using your eyes. They don't talk about it. And when I can remember when I was like playing Little League Baseball, the coaches would tell you, oh, before every pitch, think about if the ball's hit to you, what you're going to do with it. But in soccer, they don't talk about it. And it just has to be a habit where you're, I know, I know now they use the term glancing, where for me, looking around and, and seeing what's going on. And, you know, my mentor, Charles Feruda, he just drilled to me, you know, being one player, two plays ahead wasn't good enough. I had to try to be three or four plays ahead. And, and that's very challenging, but it, it means the minute you step over that white line, your head is constantly swiveling to look and see what's going on around you. At the end of the day, you got it done. You were the captain of the national championship team and you won the Herman Trophy, the ultimate capper to a college soccer season, even to this day. I mean, I know Jason Gary did it in 2005 where he won the Mac Herman and the national championship, but it doesn't always work out that way, Billy. At the end of the day, you had the last laugh. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, you know, I'm very, I'm extremely proud, obviously, to win the Herman Trophy, to be considered the best at anything in this 
terrific country is a, a huge accomplishment. But for me, it pales in comparison to winning the national championship with my teammates and coaches. That's so well said, and I feel like that came across. I want to go back and read those names again. We already talked about Mooch and Timo, Jim Lennox, Matfred Shellshite, Jeff Tipping, and that's just the tip of the iceberg as you dig into this book. Did you have any idea as you were fighting your own battle to say, hey, look at me, even at five foot three, I can do it because I'm a little son of a, a bee. Did you have any idea you were around all this greatness that would continue to you know, be recognized for their greatness? You know, Dean, I, I, I always believed in, in playing against the best players possible. So like I said, my going into my freshman year, uh, Mooch was there, Ping Pong at Nottingham, uh, Michael Angelotti, Kevin Welsh, these were all great players. And, and when we were in training, whenever I had the opportunity, I tried to match up against Mooch. Not because it was easy, because I felt if I can train against a professional player, for me, Mooch was a professional player um, back then, it's going to make me a better player. I just always gravitated to playing against the best player. And, and my freshman year, when we played Howard, you know, Timo didn't want me to follow Ian Bain all over the field, but he wanted me to go and play on that side. So Mooch had a little more energy for attacking. And um, I just relished the challenge. Ian Bain was a terrific player and to match up against him and, and do a pretty good job. I just love that. This book has so much to offer. Talks about playing two-touch possession soccer. Gives a little reference to Franz Beckenbauer. Never get tired of that. Talks about the principles of playing at left back. Talks about uh, whether or not to go to fraternity study in Spain. Whether or not to accept an, a, an offer to play on the Olympic team. Your work in psychology. And it all comes through so clearly. The name of the book, That Little Son of a Bee. Sum it up for us, Billy, as it's Christmas time. People can still order it but sum it up and then i'll let you plug where people can order it why is this such a good read for my audience the twenty thousand plus members of the united soccer coaches i i think it's good for a lot of reasons one dean i think sometimes the parents of youth players especially if they didn't grow up in the game they don't understand the necessary commitment to become a really good player um, let alone to reach your goals for coaches i think it points out situations where like you uh, pigeonhole a player as a, has a certain ability or lack thereof and and maybe you're not looking at that player honestly and for players make them understand how hard you have to work every day to try to get better it's a very competitive world out there and if you have that passion I don't know Dean if you've read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth it talks about talent versus hard work where well, they call it natural talent but you know if you study it you realize no one's naturally talented it's um you know thousands and thousands of hours tom buyer from uh, soccer starts at home made a comment to me says he says she wrote the book he said but you were the book so that was a real great compliment coming from someone like tom buyer well and i consider it a compliment that you were kind enough billy to send me a book i'm putting it up right now on the screen as this is Obviously, audio, but uh, Billy and I are talking together via Zoom. Dean, I hope you enjoy the book. Looking forward to your thoughts. Billy Gazonis. Billy the Greek Gazonis. All right. We still got time. This can make the stocking stuffer and be a good one, although it is pretty thick. It's a great read. Billy, where can people get it? They can go on Amazon. It's the simplest and easiest way. Um, 
other like online, like at Target and other um, bookstores, you can also get it. But Amazon's the simplest and easiest way to get the book. Let me end, Billy, by telling you, as uh, I'm now over 50, I just had to interview the sons of Ziggy Schmidt, who's going in the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. And I'm definitely feeling more nostalgic around holiday time. Let me thank you for bringing this book into my life and also reminding me those people that helped pave a path even for me and so many people in the game, people like Mooch and Timo and Jim and Manfred and, and Jeff and so many more and people like you as well. Let me thank you for that, Billy. It means a lot. Dean, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show and uh, to, to finally get to meet you kind of like quasi the new way of meeting people in person <laughs> through Zoom. <laughs> All right. The name of the book, that little son of a bee, as he said, get to Amazon and order it. Billy the Greek, Gazonis, have a great holiday. Thank you, Dean. When we come back, Lisa Cole, the director of goalkeeping for the association and actually a national team coach. We'll talk about that and her letter of commendation that she received from United Soccer Coaches. Lisa Cole, when we return. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. The United Soccer Coaches Letter of Commendation is presented to a recipient for their service to impact on and or positive influence on the association and or the game of soccer in the United States. One of this year's recipients of the Letter of Commendation is Lisa Cole, a United Soccer Coaches member since 1997. Lisa has been heavily involved with the association through coaching, education, and advocacy. Lisa brings a wealth of coaching knowledge gleaned over nearly 30 years of experience at the youth, college, professional, and international levels. Lisa was the first national chair of the association's advocacy council and helped build its foundation of what has evolved into one of the three pillars of membership. In that area, Lisa also served as the education chair for the women's membership group. Currently, the head coach of the Antigua and Barbuda women's national team, Lisa Cole also serves the association's coaching education department as director of goalkeeping. And Lisa, knowing how dear the association is to you, first welcome, and I must say, the letter of commendation has to move you. Yeah, well, first, I'm just really um, humbled, and I wanna also say congratulations to you on receiving the award as well. It puts me in a class I didn't really know, really think I was in, but um, I, I either am getting older, people are feeling like they need to recognize me, or I just have been lucky to be able to serve the association the ways that I have over my time. And I appreciate them recognizing that the time and effort that's been put into the association. But to be honest, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, I feel the same way. And um, you know, Lisa, without a doubt that you are beloved by the association for your tireless work. And you're beloved by somebody looking down on you and Tony DeChico, who dedicated so much time, knowing how he would feel about you getting a letter of commendation. How's that make you feel? Yeah, I was going to mention that. I feel like really first, Dr. Colleen Hacker, who's my college coach, she's the first person who got me involved in the association was formerly the NSCAA. I took all my U.S. SSF courses first and she made me promise when I once I got my A that I would go back and 
take a NSCA course because she said I'd be a NSCA person now United Soccer Coaches person and uh, she was right and the love for the association just grew with my relationship with Tony like uh, between us developing the goalkeeper curriculum and updating some of the courses. And, you know, Tony Waiters also just passed. And I actually worked for Tony Waiters before I worked for Tony DeChico. So both of them just playing a really key part of my life and to know how much the association meant to them. And then for me to get to kind of live Tony's legacy through the goalkeeping courses has been really tremendous and beneficial for me in a lot of ways. So I think, I think you'd be proud. I think you'd be excited and it means a lot to be recognized in this way. I feel like you would also be excited that also on today's show is Leslie Gallimore talking about uh, being involved in two of the digital convention events. One is a presenter, one is a moderator, Tiffany Roberts Sahedic, who is also a presenter on culture and environment and creating a positive culture. And then also Sinclair Miramontes, who's now with the North Carolina Courage. So women at all levels of the game starting to make a difference, Lisa. And I love that part of the growth. And I love the role United Soccer Coaches has played in propping up women to get more great roles. Yeah, I think it's important that young coaches see women in leadership positions. And I know like Leslie is a past president and coming on and her great work as a college coach and now her diving into the youth game is so important for young people. And then Tiff is a former player getting into coaching. I know Tony would be proud of her as well. And I just feel like it's been great for the association to really highlight high-level women and give us a platform to really shine and show that we belong. And as the director of goalkeeping education for United Soccer Coaches, you decided this year, and we normally would find you on the presenters list, but this year you decided to step back and, and I'll use that word again, prop up other people. Who did you push forward to be part of the digital convention, Lisa? Yeah, I'm really proud of what we're going to have on display with the digital convention, having less sessions and things. I felt it was important that we put forward, you know, the best in the goalkeeping game and who's current active. So Nathan Thatchery with North Carolina Courage is putting together a panel of NWSL goalkeeper coaches because I think it's really important that we highlight the women's side of the game. Eric Steele and Dave Scott with Goalkeeper Nexus are putting together a presentation and then Tim Dittmeyer from the English FA will be part of our goalkeeping kind of highlights of the convention this year. Let's end with you giving us a peek at uh, your national team job right now. Talk about uh, the island that you're on and uh, what it's like uh, putting together that national team. Yeah, right now, um, 2020 has been a little bit unkind to us in some ways, but also has been a bit of a needed break because it's allowed us to organize ourselves in such a way that is really important, which we wouldn't normally We'd always be going from programming to programming to programming. We've had a bit of a pause and can really look at what 2021 to for us is 2027, the next, not this next World Cup, but the following World Cup. How do we prepare players to be a part of that, to have a better showing in our CONCACAF events and things like that? So I think for us right now, it's been a bit about creating curriculum, starting leagues. Like right now, when I got arrived on Island, there were no leagues for women's or just for girls at all. And even for our boys um, at the U15 level and below. So we're starting a U15 boys league in 2021. 2020 saw us start a women's league that didn't get to finish, but was close to finishing up and will continue in 2021. 
and we'll start a U15 girls league. So a lot of things that needed to be outlined that 2020 gave us time to organize ourselves. So yeah, it's exciting. It's going to be exciting times if we can just get ourselves back on the field. Lisa Cole changing the game for United soccer coaches and also changing the game for the Antigua and Barbuda women's national team, a recipient of this year's letter of commendation. Thanks so much for being on the United soccer coaches podcast presented by team snap. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And again, congrats to you. Thank you so much, Lisa. And when we return, we push to meet another member of our 30 under 30 class. Stay with us. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Time to get to know another great member of our 30 under 30 class, Keely Lysing, who just graduated from Winthrop where she was a forward and a defender. She's now back in my home state of Ohio because of the pandemic. Keely, great to be with you. It's good to be with you too, Dean. Yeah, obviously a strange year. We were talking about the fact that uh, you were living in Winthrop, which is in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Your original plan was to stay down here in the South, right? But the pandemic forced you back home to Ohio, correct? Yeah, pretty much. I kind of just wanted to dive right into the college coaching world, maybe as a grad assistant after school, but with everything that happened, that kind of didn't work out. So I ended up moving back home. All right, well, let's talk about home. Let's talk about the club you played for and if you've got any mentors along the way, and then talk about your decision to leave Ohio and go to Winthrop. But uh, let's know a little bit more about your journey in Ohio. I actually just recently moved to Columbus for a job, which is where I played club soccer. I played at Ohio Premier. Even though I was up from near the Akron area, there was a group of uh, my friends and we just said, let's go play for this club. And we would carpool two and a half hours to practice a couple times a week and on the weekends. And that was a real turning point for me. Like I knew I wanted to play in college, but I needed to find a program and a team that was going to be competitive and kind of help me grow and push me to get, cause I knew I wanted to play division one soccer and the previous clubs that I was at, it just didn't seem like there were very many girls on the team that that was their goal. So it wasn't really aligning. So I made the jump and I came down here to Columbus, played at OP, had great coaches at OP. I mean, I can't say enough about the club. I'm actually planning on hopefully after things settle down, getting into coaching back at OP after the new year. That's where I was recruited to go to Winthrop and a couple other schools, but I knew I wanted to go South. My parents didn't want me to, but I knew I was like, I want to go somewhere I can play soccer outside year round. So I ended up going to Winthrop and that was probably one of my favorite experiences playing soccer. It's a mid-major D1 school. So it wasn't like the immense pressure that you have with the power five schools. I still got to make lots of friends outside of soccer in my major because it's pretty small class sizes, which I really liked and really appealed to me as well. I started out, got recruited as a forward. I played forward my first three years. And then our back line graduated after my junior year. My coaches were like, we're going to throw you back there. And they threw a couple other people back there. And 
I was really the only one that seemed to like, okay, like if you need me here, like I'll play here. So at first it was super frustrating. Like I played a little bit of defense in high school as needed, but it was basically like relearning an entire position and I had like six months to do it. So it was really frustrating at first, but my teammates were super supportive and my coaches were super supportive. And I ended up actually having one of my best years statistically in college. So I got top drawer soccer team of the week once. And a couple times I was recognized for having like the most assist in the NCAA at some point. So it was a really fun year and a great way to go out. Definitely don't have any regrets with that. When I looked up your information, I realized you had just graduated. So you've got to be the youngest member of this current 30 under 30 class. I can't imagine anyone's younger than you. How in the world did you get enough coaching in? And I want to hear about your resume because to be this young and already part of the 30 under 30 class, that's pretty special, Keely. So I've kind of been looking into 30 under 30 since I got to college. I knew it was something that I wanted to pursue when I got the chance to, and I looked into it a little bit last year, but I just wasn't coaching enough that I didn't think that I was going to be able to make it in. So I was like, I'll just, you know, give it another year. I feel like once I get a couple more licenses under my belt, I would definitely be a good candidate for the position, but I started coaching, gosh, my freshman year of college, I kind of got involved in coaching in the Rock Hill community where I went to school. It started off with just a nonprofit organization. I would coach like three and four year olds, which was super basic. Like I was the only person that coached that actually knew soccer, but it was a lot of fun. And I met a lot of members of the community through that, which helped me obviously to expand. And I ended up after that, getting a position coaching at a middle school. I was a head coach of the middle school team at Westminster Catawba Christian School. So they're a pretty small school. And it was definitely a challenging start. It was like my first role as a head coach. So that was super exciting. But a lot of the girls there, very few of them played soccer. So their class sizes are so small. I think their graduating classes for seniors are like 20 kids. So they all play many different sports. So that was an adjustment for me going from like playing at a higher level than having to figure out how I was going to coach girls that were such a wide skill range. So there were a couple of girls that did play club soccer, but most of them had never played soccer before, but I had a lot of fun doing that. I ended up doing that for two years, actually. And the only reason I didn't do it for three was because my major required me to have an internship in the spring, which in the South, they play their season in the spring. So that's why I was also able to coach so much because our season was in the fall and down there, they were all in the spring. After that, with my internship coaching at a major club down in Charlotte, it was a bunch of clubs that kind of formed together to make Charlotte Independent Soccer Club, but it's under the professional soccer team, Charlotte Independence. And it's basically a program where players can start out and work their way up into that program. I did my internship with them, but it obviously got cut short because of uh, COVID. So I was supposed to do that through graduation pretty much, but I ended up leaving in March. And I don't believe they ended up opening the club back up until... I was basically supposed to be 
graduated. So that was a bummer, but I made a lot of connections through that. And I actually got to coach a couple YDP teams, which are their youth development teams. So kids who played rec, but aren't quite ready for club yet. It's a bridging program for those kids to hopefully get them the skills they need to go and play club. When I came home, I knew I wanted to keep coaching, even if I couldn't go back to school or grad school, which was the original plan. So I actually went and coached at my alma mater, Theodore Roosevelt High School. And I actually went and coached for the boys side, which was something totally different I have not done before. But that was also another really memorable experience throughout all this chaotic pandemic stuff. I really am glad that the guys got to play their season, something that kind of felt, you know, normal for once. And that was a challenging experience, I will say, because I've never coached boys before, especially high school boys. They can carry quite an ego sometimes, but I thought that I learned a lot from that experience, especially. That's awesome. Yeah. I give the Ohio High School Athletic Association a ton of credit for getting all the sports in and crowning yeah champions. Well done. I'm glad that you were able to participate, particularly on the boys' side. Good for you as you continue to expand your horizons. What do you remember about getting the notification that at your young age, you were part of this 30 under 30 class? Oh my gosh. I was so excited. I was like, through all of the stuff that has happened this year that hasn't gone my way, I was like, this is a really good step in the right direction. For me, it's kind of a bridge from where I am now and where I would like to be. I've entered a couple of different mentorship programs this year. I'm also doing one through the NCAA with their career and sports forum I did earlier this year. And now they are doing a trial of a mentorship program. So I've been able to do that. And I'm actually paired with a college coach, which I was super stoked about as well. And so I've done, I've been trying to do a lot of things, even though I haven't been able to coach as much and get to where I want to be, obviously. So I was super excited to hear that I was a part of the 30 under 30 class. And like you said, I felt, you know, my hard work is kind of coming to fruition when I found out how many applicants there were and that I'm so much younger than a lot of the other applicants. I was really excited about that. Well, you should be as we're here with Keely Lysing. What's your goal 10 years from now, Keely? 10 years down the road, I want to be coaching college soccer. It's what I've wanted to do since I was in high school. It's why I've tried to get into so many different mentorship programs, why I've tried to make so many different connections. I actually went to the coaches convention early the beginning of this year, like three days after I had knee surgery. So I was hobbling around in Baltimore at the convention. That was my first time. And that was a really awesome experience. I've been wanting to attend for a few years now. And I finally got the chance to and make a lot of new connections through that as well. Last question, and I don't know how many Lysings there are, but when the Lysings back in Kent, whether it's brothers and sisters, mom and dad, learned that uh, you received this incredible honor, what was their reaction and how proud are they of you? Well, I can tell you, first of all, my mom was so excited. She almost like couldn't believe me. I like went downstairs. I was like, mom, guess what? And she was like, what? And I was like, I made it into the 30 under 30 class. And her, like, she was just like, what? Like, are you serious? <laughs> so she's definitely my number one supporter. And she's done so much for me to get to where I am today. Like I said, 
Like she used to drive me two and a half hours to practice to and from back in high school. And she would travel eight and a half hours to come watch almost every single game my senior year. So definitely one of my biggest supporters. I know that she's super excited. When I called her and told her I was doing this podcast today, she was like, that's so exciting. I can't wait to listen. So (laughs) I know that they're super happy for me and they've done a lot to get me to where I am in this journey today. So I'm super thankful for them. Well, I'm impressed. It's amazing. Like I said, that you're just out of college and already part of this 30 under 30 class and you continue to search for new avenues to learn. Well done, Keely. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. Congrats on being a member of this great 30 under 30 class. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you and I appreciate the Nebraska Cornhuskers, longtime coach John Walker and their superstar center back Sinclair Miramontes, now a member of the North Carolina Courage. It's Big Ten in 10, Nebraska Cornhuskers women's soccer. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome to Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10. I'm Dean Linky, along with former All-Big Tenner from Northwestern, Kayla Sharples. Today, we put the spotlight on the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Their 27-year top man, John Walker, and arguably one of my favorite all-time Cornhuskers, running the offense in a three-back system as the center back. He now plays with the North Carolina Curry, talking about Sinclair Miramontez. Welcome, Coach Walker. Welcome, Sinclair. Thanks for having us, Dean. Thanks, Dean. John, we're going to start with you. 27 years, that means to me Nebraska is a pretty special place. Tell us why it's so special, Coach. A place with a great athletic department, tradition, history, super community, very positive community. We moved from Canada there with young kids at the time and obviously didn't think there 27 years later but it really is a wonderful place great department and and a community so it's just uh, it just made sense john from personal experience playing nebraska was not an easy task your team is always incredibly fit and very determined for those who don't know you can you give us some insight into your innovative coaching philosophy you know the biggest thing over the years has been the development part that would be the number one thing it's really working from the individual out so trying to help every player end up being sound technically fundamentally develop a good tactical understanding of the game take ownership in their physical conditioning and then i think over the years just trying to keep learning and so we don't have the same style of play we did 15 20 years ago the game has changed willing to try different tactics i've never been afraid to try different things i'm we've tried years ago playing with four forwards and had some success with it and then we've tried being a full pressing team we've we've also worked at being a good low block team and and i think trying to be just as innovative as i can traveling to europe always visiting professional clubs but still sticking to some core fundamentals on how to play the game and being able to then adjust using different systems and and tactical tweaks but never getting away from kind of some core fundamentals and i think I think it's that combination of having principles that you want to stick to that are, that can last over time, 
but also never standing still and, and always trying to be as innovative as, as, as you can possibly be. Chad, as we move to Sinclair Miramontes, I think you'd agree with me no matter what system you played, if you had 10 or 11 Sinclair Miramontes is on the field, you'd win a lot of games because she can do everything. Sinclair, I was drawn to you, your ability out of a three back to run the team and come forward and ping 40-yard balls. I, I thought your career was outstanding. Talk about your time at Nebraska. I mean, when I think of Lincoln and my time there, I mean, it's it's all been great memories. And I'll kind of echo a little bit what John said. I think I saw myself grow so much as a player just because we did stick to some core values and especially honed in on the player development aspect of it. I have a lot of really great memories with John and with all the girls and playing in some games in a very competitive conference that is the Big Ten. I mean, Lincoln's always going to hold a special place in my heart. And I'm, I'm very grateful that John gave me the opportunity to come to Lincoln and he trusted me to run a three back, which isn't super common in, in the game. And he put that trust on me. He put that confidence in me. And I think that really helped develop me into the player that I am and helped me get to where I am today. Yeah, Sinclair, you had a lot of success at Nebraska, like we've mentioned, but you did suffer an ACL injury in 2018. But in your first game back in 2019, you did score a goal, and which must have felt amazing. How did you motivate yourself through that recovery? And what did you tell yourself heading into that first game back? I was super disappointed to have to end my junior season short. We were doing great in the conference. We were having one of the best runs that we had in my career there. And so to go down like that was super disappointing. And I knew I wanted to be back on the field for my senior season. And so I think that was my biggest motivating factor that I was going to do everything I could to not miss a single game. Um, and be back in time, be back to fitness-wise, back to feeling like myself. And, you know, like you said, that first game, I did score a goal. And the emotions from that are just unreal. It's it's something I look back on. And in that moment, especially for my position, I don't ever score. And so you go back in and, and you do something that's not very common. And it's just kind of like the weight of the emotion of, I put in nine months to get here for this moment. It's it's unreal and unbelievable. John, as you think about Sinclair Miramontes, and with all due respect to Kayla Sharples, who's with the Chicago Red Stars, Sinclair now plays for the North Carolina Courage, one of the best women's pro teams in the world. Was there any doubt based on her tools and the kind of player and person she is that she could play at the next level? No, I mean, I, I, I could see that from Sinclair at a very, very young age. I remember her coming to camp, even probably as like 12 or 13-year-old, and, and, and seeing seeing the potential. And you mentioned it, Dean, you talked about passing range you know, already. I, I think, you know, the thing with Sinclair that makes her a little bit unique as a, as a defender is that she's certainly a terrific individual defender, understands team defending concepts well. Uh, but really, it really grew into a, a playmaking center back. Um, and uh, Kayla, as you know, it's hard enough to be a defender uh, and stop people. And then uh, certainly in our program, there was a huge amount of responsibility Sinclair had, not just defensively, but actually attacking wise as well. And, you know, most times people think as playmakers, it can only be central midfielders. Well, in our program, uh, Sinclair had a huge playmaking responsibility playing as a center back. Mr. Claire, I'm sure that comes from you being a part of the soccer family with two sisters having played at the collegiate level, one playing in the NWSL. What advice did your sister Sydney give you going into the draft and then also going in and playing in the NWSL? One of the biggest things that she told me was to just enjoy the moment, enjoy every second of it. This is a unique opportunity that not every person gets to reach to. And, you know, going into it, she was kind of like, 
if you aren't drafted, it's not the end of the world. If you look at Sydney's, you know, she wasn't drafted. She went into camp as a non-roster invitee and made her way onto a team. And, and so just having that in my own household was just like inspiring to know that if I'm not drafted, that doesn't mean it's the end of me trying to go pro or me getting into this league. She was a great person to lean on throughout the whole process, throughout the entire offseason of how to get myself mentally and physically ready for the league. And But, you know, the, at the end of the day, she'd also be like, take a second and just enjoy it and enjoy every second that you have to play this sport because you never know how much longer you get with it. And I'm super thankful to have had uh, Sydney with me throughout it all. John and Sinclair, you both were beneficiaries of the incredible dedication and giving of Barb Hibner and the Hibner Soccer Stadium that opened in 2015 at the Innovation Campus. Barb was such a strong proponent for women's sports. John and Sinclair, we'll start with you, John, but what a great facility, what a great person. Dr. Hibner, fantastic person, huge backer of our program. She was actually on the original search committee that hired me back in 1994 and very strong personality. I can tell you she grilled me in the interview, but in the reason she did is she just wanted what was best for Nebraska athletics. And uh, over the years, we had developed quite a strong relationship. She was a presence at all of our games and and sometimes practices. And so I'm so pleased that we have now such an outstanding facility and we're able to honor the massive contribution that Dr. Hibner made made to Nebraska Athletics. Blair, congratulations on being drafted and getting signed and being a part of the NWSL Challenge Cup this past season. Um, what has been the biggest adjustment for you going from the collegiate level and now playing into the professional league? I think the biggest adjustment has just been speed of play. I mean, you you experience it once you go from high school to college, how there is a jump in speed of play. There's definitely another level of speed of play that jumps in when you go from college to professional. And so I think that's been the biggest adjustment. But I mean, when you're when you're in practice every single day, especially at a place like North Carolina, there's no better way to get adjusted to it and to get better and, and grow into the game. Sinclair, so great to have you with the North Carolina Courage. I can't wait to say how about Sinclair Montez and how about the North Carolina Courage. John Walker, always great to be with you. Nebraska, Big Ten in 10. I want to thank John Walker, Sinclair, and all of our incredible guests. What a power-packed show. Also want to thank Sean Chevro and Mike Nipper with United Soccer Coaches. I want to thank Colin Thrash for producing this show. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week. Enjoy your holiday season, and thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.